But uh, it's a privilege to have Tyron here. For those of you who uh, received any of that ministry this weekend, you're well aware of that. I've known Tyron for a long time. He leads the NCMI team. That's not why we have him here. Not because he's a leader of a team, but because he's a gift given by Jesus to the church. Ephesians 4 says, Christ gives gifts to the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so it's not an organizational thing. It's not a denominational thing. NCMI is not a denomination. It's not a movement. It's a team of Ephesians for people that he happens to lead that team. Uh, but he is a gift in and of himself. He's a man of, of character, integrity. We worked closely with them for 10 years in Denver. Uh, they still live in Denver. We'll pray that they'll move back to Australia sometime. <laughs> no. Uh, he's based there in a local church. He doesn't lead that church any longer, but he's still based there. Uh, there's an accountability with the, the leaders in that church. But it's just a, a, a delight. I didn't get to say this the other night, but it's a, a real delight for me personally to have him come and share. Uh, you know, there's some guys who come and they share and you have a faith in Jesus in them. But as a leader, you're kind of always sitting on eggshells. Uh, what, what are they going to say? What are they going to do? But then there's others that you just know. They're so in love with Jesus. What they share is going to be Bible. And so, Tyron, come. Let's just pray. Lord, we're just so grateful to you. Part of your pattern, part of how we glorify and honor you is build our lives and our church according to your pattern. And part of your pattern is that you've given gifts. Those from outside who can actually bring a insight that sometimes we're blind to. And so, Jesus, we open our hearts to you and the gift you've given. To you, Holy Spirit, as you speak through Tyrant, the word. We receive that and we open our hearts to that. And we ask that you would bless him in the process. With grace. With joy. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, man. Thank you. Well, I'm not sure. He didn't answer which one I am. Is he sitting on eggshells or is he not? He just said there's two types of people. and He looks like he's on the beach, so he's relaxed. Okay, that's cool. It really is a privilege, and I said that earlier, but I mean that sincerely. We believe in the church. We believe in Jesus big time, but we also believe in what God's doing here with you guys. Uh, we, as I said, although we live in another country, we are praying for this church a lot. We hear all the testimonies. We love this family dearly. And we, it was hard for us, just so you know, to let them come here. But God said, and who are we to say no? So we're delighted. And it's, it's just wonderful to meet all these new people out of this. So this is the goodness of what we're a part of, is the family just keeps expanding. But thank you for, for uh, being a part of what God's doing here. You're one of many, I know that. But uh, it's exciting to be a part of what God's doing. And I trust you're serious about that. You want to keep on doing what God's called you to do. Not asking God what is His will for your life. Rather, what is God's will and how does our lives fit into the will of God? And it's the same for this local church. We're not just another church and we love the church. But what is your will, God? And how does Redemption Hills fit into your will continually in all the seasons? And so... I do just want to say thanks, Russ and Mary. You guys are amazing. And to these wonderful elders and these new elders. And it's a privilege for us to be here. If you've got a Bible, quickly go with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. 
And the good news for you is I got an airplane to catch, so you, I can't go long, even if I'd like to. And uh, but I do want to just challenge us from text that I know you know well. I'm sure you do. I'm pretty sure Russ has covered this, or these leaders have. I'm pretty sure you've read this. Uh, I want to say this, and I don't have to say this. I want to. I love Jesus. I really do love Jesus. I'm enamored with Jesus. Can I suggest I'm obsessed? Where some people think that's offensive, but I'm obsessed with Jesus. I, I, I haven't always been. I've been busy in ministry for many years, and ministry at times, if I can be honest, has taken the place of my love for Jesus. I've got so busy at times ministering for Him that I've almost lost connection with Him, believe it or not. That can happen. And I'm intentional now never to do that. I'm not saying I always get it right, but I, I want to minister out of the overflow of my walk with Jesus rather than find ministry to get back to Jesus. And so, so in saying that, I really do love Jesus. If you get anything from me this morning, it's Jesus is awesome and Tyrant's a wannabe follower who's doing his best to follow Jesus. Honestly, that's it. I hope that's true for your life. I hope that's true for this church. I love Jesus and I love his church. Do you know that you can love the church and not love Jesus? And that's evident all over the world. But you cannot love Jesus and not love his church. That's why the revelation of Christ is so vital for the church to stay true to the call and to love each other because of our revelation of Him. But if we just love the people, love the church, honestly, without the love for Christ, we find ourselves in a lot of trouble. And again, friends, if I can be straight up this morning, we can become incredibly religious very quickly if we are not pursuing Jesus Christ as a revelation for relationship, not just a tag on for what we get to minister to the world. Does that make sense? Now, I don't expect too many amens from the message, but I trust you'll believe what the Bible says. I want to talk a little bit about the church this morning, but I want to say this, that the church is not the center of God's plan. If you and I think we are the center of it all, then we haven't read the Bible. Because Jesus is the center of God's plan. It all revolves around Him. The songs, and I so love what Tim has told us with the songs. It's all about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. The point I want to make is that Jesus is the center of it all. But in saying that, we the church are central to God's plan. We're not the center of it, but we're central to it. And often we get those things mixed up. And all I want to say is that when you get the revelation of Christ, He is the center of it all. Yet in it, He's included us. We are central to the plan. We're not the center of God's plan. Then we'll find our role and responsibility. And the church is important, friends. And, and, I, and I want to tell you, church, we the church are vital. We're strategic in what God's called us to. But Jesus is the center of it all. It all revolves around Him. And when it comes to church and understanding church, I think vision and strategy are so important. Honestly, and Russ says, will tell you, having partnered with us and in leading together, we had vision, we had strategy, and it's right and it's good. But I want to tell you there's, a compo- there's something that's needed that holds vision and strategy together, and that is called culture. And I want to talk about a culture, the church culture this morning, if I can. I want to talk about a culture of courage. And I'm sure that's like, cheers some of you and others of you. Like, what's that got to do with everything? It's got a lot to do with what God's called this church to. Even ordaining this couple onto your eldership is a next step in what God's calling you to. But what God has called that church and this church to, it's going to require courage. 
Now, I've grown up in the church. I was born on the mission field in Africa. I lived there for six weeks. My, dad, my mom birthed me in a place which is now called Zimbabwe, but it was Rhodesia, and I was there for six weeks. My dad was a missionary, and he was moving around and planting churches, and we just moved all my life. So I probably the most prophetic word over my life from a young age was be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Be strong. I mean, what, Joshua chapter 1. I mean, who? And I don't even know what that means half the time. Does that mean I should shout louder? I should dress weirder? I should grow a beard like some of these guys do? Or what does it mean? I, I'm serious. Forgive my vulnerability. What does it mean to be courageous? Should I do more? Should I be more? Should I shout more? Well, I want to suggest being courageous in the kingdom often means less of us and more of Him. I don't believe God's requiring more of us. He's requiring us to step into the things He's called us to, not the more of what we want or do more or say more. Just be true to who God's called us to be. And there's a culture, friends, that is developing in this church, as this church. And the problem is this. If we're not developing the culture, then the culture is developing us. If you and I are not setting culture for this church, the components that hold vision and strategy together, those people out there, awesome people you call to reach, they will get saved into a culture that you and I carry here this morning. And I wonder, is it a culture of courage? Is it a culture of a courageous people? Not Nothing to do with age or stamina or loudness or whatever. It's called the culture. God's called you and I to build and cultivate in this, in this room as people, as the church. My dad always used to teach us it's more important what you get saved into than what you come out of. And so people are getting saved. I believe we're going to see a lot more Aussies, a lot more Tasmanians, a lot more people coming to Jesus. But the point is not what are they going to get saved from, what are they getting saved to? Are you there? And what we got, they get. Not what we wish we had, what we've got. You can't give what you haven't got. So I want to challenge us this morning and say from Scripture, and there's many texts we could look at, but I want to look at this text, just the Ephesians church for a moment. Just, you know, Paul planted the church in Ephesus. You can read in Acts 18 and 19, a radical church with the revelation of Jesus and he invested there for three and a half years and he gave his life. And you know what it says? It says that the name of the Lord was held in high honor in that region. It doesn't mean that everyone was a believer. It didn't mean that everyone was part of their church. It meant that Jesus was revered and awed, even though He wasn't always responded to or followed. Not everyone was saved, but there was a revering of God in that place. How many of you know it takes courage to have that? How many of you know that's not true here in Launceston? It's not true in Australia. Yes, God's doing something, but people don't revere and awe God. There's not even a reference of God. And Jesus, who's He? And I want to suggest, I long for something of that again, where we see the reverence and awe, the fear, the honoring, even if they don't all follow Jesus, but there's an honoring of someone else out there who's more important than us. And for that to happen, it means we've got to be a courageous people to shift the culture, or do we allow that culture to tell us what we can and can't do? If we're not developing our culture, then the culture is developing. So what helps us be a courageous people? And I want to highlight four things quickly that Paul writes. It's true that with vision, people perish. Without vision, people perish. But can I say this? Without courage, dreams die. Yeah. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Paul says this. He says, I keep asking. This is not a one-off prayer. Yeah, I've had some one-off prayers. Lord, do this, please. And it didn't happen. When you keep praying, it means this is something that matters most. And you can tell a lot about what people pray. I think that's why a lot of people are quiet when they pray. Because I can preach things and say things, but when you're praying, you're speaking to God. Generally, you're honest. What you really feel. Help me, Lord. Kill that person, Lord. Take that person out, Lord. Because that's what's real. And so Paul, you get something of the heart of what Paul's staring at. And he says this, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Pause for a moment, friends. Paul's saying, I keep on asking for the church, not for the world, for the people in Ephesus. I keep asking for the church that he planted as he writes to them. He says, I keep asking that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Wisdom is not earthly experience. Some of us have been through stuff and we've learned some stuff. But be careful we don't put our earthly experience as godly wisdom. Because what God's called this church to is going to require us stepping into some unknowns. We know God and we know what He's called us to, but we haven't been this way before. So we can't use our past experience of earthly experience as a godly wisdom. We've got to have godly wisdom. I've got to lead God's people. who Some have been saved longer than I've been alive. I can't just go on their experience or mine. We've got to be ask God for wisdom, not wisdom of this world, friends. The church is buying into the wisdom of the world. We need godly wisdom. And I believe God wants to give us that. And Paul says, I keep asking the spirit of wisdom, but revelation may give the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Have you heard about that? Revelation. How many of you want revelation? Put your hand up. Be careful putting your hand up. <laughs> Revelation's awesome, but it's dangerous. And I'll tell you why. Because revelation, in my opinion, in its simplicity, is God's invitation for you and I to change something. And let's be honest, we all love to talk about change, but nobody really wants to change. It was Mark Twain who said, the only one who likes to change is a wet baby. And so God, we must be careful asking for revelation because revelation is God's invitation for you and I to adjust our lives. In other words, for God's truth to become my truth, something in my life has to die for it to move from my head to my heart. And so right now, with all due respect, the church around the world is so head knowledgeed well. I know I'm making up words as we go. This is Australia and we do that, right? Head knowledge, we can quote scripture, we can spurt it out, we can dissect it and judge people and confess things because we know we're here. But let me tell you, that's not revelation. I want to honor my friend Russ Doty. He honored me. This guy's one of the best preachers in the world, in my perspective. And his understanding of Scripture, he was an absolute safeguard to have in our church because he knows the Word. He's not perfect. He's not an expert, but he loves God's Word. You, with your leaders, can get great truth preached from this pulpit. That's awesome. The question is not do you know it, do you have it, and are you living in it? And I think today the church is more head knowledge than ever before in history. However, with all due respect, we're not living it because it's head, not heart. 
Revelation means something from, something has to change in my understanding and life. Something in me has to change for God's truth to move from my head to my heart so I actually live it up. And that's why Paul says, I keep asking that the glorious Father may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Not so you walk around with wisdom and revelation. Ultimately, those two things given to us that we can know Christ better. So the first culture, with all due respect, and it's not a new one, and I'm sure you know what's coming here, but the big culture we've got to develop in this church to be a courageous people is a culture of Christ. Oh, here we go. Yes, here we go. You have nothing if you have not Christ. Paul's not saying that you can get wisdom and revelation. Why do you need wisdom and revelation? To know Christ better. Personally, dear friends, it's not a corporate thing. It's an individual thing. And while you together are stronger, you all have to have your own revelation of Jesus. And if I can be honest with you this morning, it's not Russ's job to help you find Jesus. It's your role as a follower of Christ to build your relationship with Jesus. It's not a leader's role. Our role is our role. Jesus is the mediator between God and man, not your pastor. And so I understand people get hurt by the church, and I'll tell you why. It's because they put their faith in the people or in the pastors rather than in Christ. And now this morning, you should never be hurt again by anyone in the church because you've heard it's your faith in Him, no one else. Now, I know this is sounding great, but live it out. It's a little thing different. I'm not trying to be, friends, I've been hurt by the church. I've grown up in the church. I've been, I've hurt people too because they had their faith in this man who's just a man doing his best to serve him. But when your faith is in Christ, when we get to know not of Jesus, but know him regularly, the culture in this church should be Christ. People should encounter you and say, you're not a churchgoer who belongs to Redemption Hills or whatever. You are a follower of Jesus. You belong to Christ. Paul said, I want people to know I belong to Jesus. And the outflow is the Redemption Hill Church. But Jesus is the one you belong to. And I ask you and I challenge you, not just this morning, every day. How's your walk with Jesus? Because you can say we're about Jesus. We can sing songs about Jesus. What about the life we're living, dear friends? If you were to be investigated as a follower of Jesus, would you be found guilty of being a follower of Jesus? Not Sunday, all day, every day. It's a culture that we either have or don't. Not a tag on, not an add on. That's got to be the mandate of our lives. And Paul says, I keep asking the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? To know Christ better. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in their wisdom, or a strong man boast in his strength, or a rich man boast in the riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that they have the understanding to know me. Know Jesus and make him known. We don't, can't make someone known who we don't know, and not that we met once but someone we keep working. Philippians chapter three, well-worn text. Go read it again. Paul's heart was, I want to know Christ. And I want to stop and say, dear Paul, you know Christ. You encountered Christ in Acts chapter nine on the road to Damascus. You were blinded. You know Christ. And Paul says, I don't want to stay where I got in. So I'm not asking, have you met Jesus? 
I'm not asking if you encountered, and if you haven't, today you can, right here, right now. But I want to ask those who've encountered and met Jesus, where you at today with Jesus? I meet wonderful people, and I love to learn from older people. And I ask them, tell me about your story, sir or ma'am. And in 1972, on the 4th of July, I met Jesus. Awesome. 40-something years ago. How are you doing today? Oh, but that's where I start. Yes, that's great. Where are you today? Oh, you know, kind of, that's my day. Yeah, that's your in. But don't stay where you got in. I've been married for 22 years, which is not long when I look around and see how some of you are grayer than me. But it is long today. And it's a celebration. I love my wife. Honestly, not because my son's sitting here, because I love my wife more today than I've ever loved her. And I mean that sincerely. But let me tell you, we don't have a good marriage. Is if every time we talk about our marriage... We reference our wedding and we bring out the wedding photos. That is not our marriage. That is a wedding, an event that happened 20-something years ago to the start of a journey called marriage. Celebration, awesome celebration, and everyone's wow, wow. And then, you know, the next morning, I literally had to wake up and live out what I said yes to every day. And my wife doesn't want to know what I thought about her 20-something years ago. If we have a good marriage, it's based on where we're at today as we're working through what we're about today, rather than the wedding photos. Oh, baby, you look so pretty before you had three sons, and you were so young then, and look how young and beautiful. No, no, what about today, Tyrant? Where's our marriage today? Why? Because that's the thing that matters more than just the day we got in. Are you there, friends? Some of you want to throw rocks at me? It's okay. We need a culture of Christ. And that means where are we at daily, not where did you get in once? More important than your marriage is your walk with Jesus because your marriage can't work if you're not walking with Jesus. Not asking, are you saved? Asking. Do you know Jesus? Personally, intimately, are you walking? He's already offended. They're leaving. You see that? <laughs> You've never heard this truth in Cairns, have you, bro? We're coming your way. No, no, it's okay. He had to leave. Sorry. He's, uh, yeah, anyway. He's a heathen who's, okay. Anyway. He's <laughs> my friend. Are, are you there, though, friends? Are you, I mean, this is not new, but I want to say, have you got a culture of Christ? Is there a culture of Christ or a tag on or an add on? And it's not up to each other. I can't get my revelation from you and you can't get yours from me. We can cheer each other along, but we can't make it happen. My relationship with Jesus is based on my relationship with Jesus. Not based on the preacher, the pastor, my son. His relationship with Jesus is not based on mine. Although I can influence him, he's got to have his own. Paul says he counted all things lost. In actual way, all his achievements were actually a hindrance. All the stuff he did was hindering his knowledge of Christ. We've got to get it back to the right way. Flip it. Revelation of Christ and my achievements come after that. He said, I want to be found in him. He changed his position by knowing Christ. Friends, it's so vital in a culture. We have to find our position in Christ. Not just know him. Position ourselves in Christ. A new possession, righteousness, which comes from God. Paul received a right standing before God when he kept on knowing Jesus. A new passion that I might know him. This was his crescendo, his ultimate desire. Supreme goal to know Christ personally and intimately. He did not stay where he got in. Don't stay where you got in. Cultivate the culture of Christ and then we will be a courageous people.
Secondly, verse 18, let's read on. It says, I pray that the eyes of your heart, amazing, there's revelation. The eyes of your heart, your heart apparently has eyes. Revelation. May be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. So number one, we need a culture of Christ. Now Paul moves and he says that actually you'll understand your culture of your call. See, friends, I've I, I got to say, we've got to keep developing. You know what gives me courage? is my revelation of Jesus, and that's a cultivated thing we've got to keep. But also understanding He called me. It's not just this couple that's been put up here. Now they called. We are all called in this room. And I don't know what structures you've been a part of, and I'm not even judging what you've been a part of. I'm just saying biblically, we need to come back to God's way that all in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're called by God. And God is a God who handpicks people for His call and all hands are needed, all hands on deck. We all are needed to serve God in this time and season. You can find churches that tell you you're awesome and don't do anything, just pay us and we'll get it all done. I'm just telling you, sounds awesome. God won't play the game because God doesn't allow a handful of people to do what He's called all His people to do. So we can fund people and pray for people and join churches that tell us we're awesome. You just keep paying them, but the Lord says, no, no, I'm picking you. This is a culture to be developed of calling all people who God adds to this church are called by God with all their nonsense, with all their warts and issues and history. He can forgive and set us free, but we all got to call together. And we've got to get back to developing that call and having a culture of calling rather than you're awesome, I'm, I, I'm awesome, you're not, just do what I tell you to do. We've got to stop that and fix it. And I'm, I'm asking, is that in your heart? Because you can't give what you haven't got. What culture are we developing? The hope to which you're being called. Do you have hope? I love how we tell the world about hope. Oh, the world needs hope. No, the church needs hope. You know, Paul was writing to the church, not to the world. He said that your spirit, that know the hope, who? The hope to which you've been called, who? The church. We need ongoing revelation of the hope to which we've been called. See, I, I look at the church today and I'm just saying, today's church seems more focused on surviving the culture than it is about transforming the culture. Like, just let me make it. Just hope. Hang on. Come back, Jesus. Hold, hide my children from the world because it's real. And friends, I understand it, but I can't find a biblical backing for us to hang on and hope for Jesus' return. We've been given the Holy Spirit, empowered by Him, not to hold on, but to transform culture, not be fearful of culture. Yeah, that's good. And I say that as a parent, raising kids in America. Scary. But I, don't, I can't find, I've got to protect them and hide them and hold in our church holy huddle and wait for Jesus to come. We've got a role to play, a culture of reaching out and touching people, not surviving, transforming it. Somehow we've got to have that culture developed in our lives. One of the most challenging verses for me in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 15, verse 13. This is what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The culture we should be developing is an overflow of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope 
fill you with joy and peace. How do you lose hope? By losing joy and by losing peace. And guess what we are up against? No joy. And man, we fear what the future holds. No peace. Guess what we've lost? Hope. And he says, may the God of hope. So we've got to keep going back to our God of hope and allow him to fill us with joy and peace and that we will overflow by the power of the Holy Spirit, overflowing hope. It's not a put on, it's not a fleshy thing, it's the Holy Spirit. I wonder if that represents your life, my life. Does Redemption Hills Church be known for the hope that overflows from the people that call this their home? Will those who have no hope come and find hope, not just in Jesus, but may there be an overflow of hope in the calling that we've been given? Are you there, friends? Yeah, that's good. This gives us absolute courage when we have hope. When you've lost hope, you just want to make it. I just got to make today. I come on a Sunday, I hear a word so I can make it for the weekend. And I understand it, but friends, we've got to shift it again and ask God to give us hope. Back to the hope. You know what I've realized is that the devil, who's real, he uses the method of gradualism to wear down the people of God. It's not a one-off. It's not like we have one off and then that's it. It's this constant, gradually method that he uses to wear you and I down. And before we know it, we've lost hope. And that's why we've got to contend for this. And that's why Paul said, you've got to keep praying. And I keep asking that your heart may be enlightened, your eyes of your heart, that you may know the hope to you've been called. I don't know, Aussies, what you think. I don't know what you've been told. Aussies are not down under or up and over and all this nonsense we say. You are a strategic country and a strategic region and this is a strategic church. And with all due respect, with all the joy, Tasmania is a strategic place. And you shouldn't be an island on your own and to heck with the rest of the world. God's called you to reach the nations from this island. And you can choose to just say no or yes. But I want to tell you that needs to be, this church needs to run with hope again. Because I don't think there's hope in the world, let alone in the church. We've got to fix that. Are, are you there? Yeah. Some of you came here maybe to retire, but maybe from the world, but not from the kingdom. And retiring, you've got more time. And you've got money. You don't have kids at home. You, you can get on with it. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> See, I, I've watched people in temptation lose hope. See, that's where the devil uses temptation. The devil seeks to destroy us. But he's only been given the power to distract us. Don't be tempted and shrink into other things. I've watched people with trials. When they go through trials, they lose their hope. And I understand. And tragedies. Amazing that God always uses ordinary people. Always uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's not cliche. That's Bible. So if you feel like you're ordinary, perfect. Let the hope of God run through you again. Because we are ordinary. But he's extraordinary and he chooses us to display His glory. And I hope there is a culture of hope, no matter how old you are, young or old. You haven't had your days, older people. Your days are not done. I've got no axe to grind with you except to say you're not in heaven now, so carry on with the task. We need you as you need them and us. And It's not a... Yeah, okay. Just please hear that. You're not here to just... Take up a seat. You're part of the kingdom of God. And whatever your history has been, good or bad, God's not done yet. If He was, you'd be with Him now. 
And let this culture of hope for young and old, whatever country you've come from, wherever you, let there be a developing culture of hope. Whatever pastors or leaders have done, whatever experience you've had in the church, good or bad, put it aside and trust that we can have the flow of God again and we can be a people who bring hope to the church and to the nations of the world. Thirdly, nearly done. You guys are very quiet. It's good, I think. Verse 19, Paul says, And His incomparably great power, dunamis, for us who believe, that power is the same as the mighty strength, kratos. He exerted energia when He raised Christ from the dead and seated Him on the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present one, but in the age to come. So here's the thing. We need a culture of Christ. We need a culture of calling. Thirdly, we need a culture of confidence or competence, if I could say, in His power. I mean, Paul uses some language here and he's using words to make a point, to understand this power. This verse 19 is jam-packed with interesting words. Talks about the exceedingly greatness of God's power. He intends for us to imagine power beyond imagining. He uses four power words that in his context are essentially similar. Dunamis, power, where we get our word dynamite. Energia, which is harnessed energy, his power that is at work is what he's talking about. Kratos is the presence of significant power, manifested power. And iskis, sorry, I don't know how to say all these words, but... Strength, whether physical or moral. So Paul is making the point. He's using these points to drive home in our consciousness the power, the reality of God's power. He's aiming to use four blows of a hammer to speak to God's power to make sure that we get it. So the question I ask is, do we get it? His power. And we love Jesus and we love to celebrate Easter. And I tell you, I love Easter and I love every day, but Easter is a big deal in South America. It's like the Super Bowl Sunday and everyone plans for the big thing. Everyone's going to come and, and we preach on Friday he was crucified, but Sunday's coming, Sunday's coming, resurrected Sunday. And we preach resurrection and, and there's a celebration. And we wake up Monday morning and we go back to life, back to normality. And we wait for another year of Easter to be celebrating what the resurrected power of Jesus Christ can never have courage if it's a once a year experience. Paul knew that and was saying to the church, you need to know the power that he has given his people. I love sports. I've confessed that already. I love to watch sport, any kind of sport. I have some of my favorite teams and I watch them. I won't tell you who they are because we'd lose our friendship right here. But I love watching it. But most times when sports on, I'm in meetings. So I'm diehard enough to record the game. And my friends know that I'm in meetings and they live all over the world. So they tell me the score before I actually get to watch the game. They know that I'm preaching and they'll tell me, oh, did you see the score? 3-0 or whatever it is. But you know, because I'm diehard, I go watch the game anyway. How many of you have watched a game knowing the score? Put your hand up. Come on, this is church. Confess your sins. We... People ask me, is there going to be sports in heaven? I'm like, well, it wouldn't be heaven if, it were, if there isn't. So yes, you better get... No, I'm just joking. That's not true. 
Just rugby, you reckon? All right, okay. Don't even start with me. But however, but have you ever watched a game, you know the score, and your team's won, and you're watching it. And you know what? You're actually a little more relaxed watching the game when you know you've already won. And then you watch it, and you think, gee, it doesn't look like we won this game. And you go back to Google, because you can't trust your friends, and you're like, who won this game? Oh, we did win. Okay, and you... And then I began thinking, forgive me, I'm just thinking these funny things. I began thinking, can you imagine my team playing in this game if they really knew they won this game? How much more they'd enjoy this game? They might even risk a little more, throw it to someone who they're not used to throwing it to. They might even risk and enjoy each other rather than get the job done. Maybe we're going to win. And I don't want to be cliche here, but can I suggest, church, we know the score. You would think we don't, the way we're playing, the way we're doing life. Oh, tyrant, you don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't. But whatever we're going through, friends, we're not exempt from anything that the world's exempt from, including divorce, sickness, disease. It's all part. Unfortunately, we face it. The difference is we know this call. We should be people who are triumphant, even in stuff. And somehow, forgive me for being very honest, somehow we've become survivors. We've become people of surviving. And, and, and we need to dream again. We need to get back to where Jesus has one. And if you read the book of Revelation, He's coming back in full glory, full splendor, and we know the score. Surely we can have a little more fun and have a culture of risking a little more because we know the score. This is not to blow wind in your ears. This is revelation that we've got to contend for even when you're going through sickness and disease and financial destitute or whatever. We face it like the world, but we know who won the battle. There's a big difference. When you minister from, or from victory or for victory, can I just give you a few things as we land? The difference between from victory or for victory. When you fight for victory, you're at risk of losing. And when you fight from victory, you can't lose. When you fight for victory, the fear of losing causes us to quit. When you fight from victory, your confidence will drive you to finish off the enemy. When you fight for victory, you've got to deal with your own pride. When you fight from victory, self-pride is replaced with worship and gratitude. God's got this, believe it or not, even if it's hard to believe. I have read the end. I know the score. I don't understand it. I don't have all the answers. I can't keep saying Jesus is the answer to everything. Somewhere we need to help people through. But in saying all this, I don't understand. I've seen disease, sickness, even in our own family. I don't understand it all, friends. I've seen people leave people, hurt people. I've seen it. I've had money. I've had no money. All I know is I know the score, which means somehow I've got to move from a victim on this planet to being a person who's living in victory again. It's a culture that can be developed, not based on us, based on the finished work. We know the score. And the last thing, in verse 22, Paul says, And God placed, God placed, all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. A culture of compassion and consistency. 
Why? Because of our position. So we've got to develop a culture of Christ, a culture of, what was the other calling? Culture of uh, comfort, that's it, confidence or competence in his power. And lastly, one of compassion and consistency. Friends, your weather's interesting here. It's like Melbourne, right? Like, if you don't like the weather, wait a few minutes and isn't it? So, I mean, many of us are up and down like the weather. One day's good day, bad day. Up. Let me tell you how we can get some consistency and compassion to care for people out there. Is when we understand our position in Christ. If it's based on our position, then we are up and down. If it's based where He's positioned, we are seated with Him. Which, I don't have to be up and down anymore. I can be consistent because I'm seated with Him. And secondly, I will care for people and not judge them if I realize I'm in my position. Because Jesus put me there. That's it. I didn't earn this. I didn't do stuff to get here. If you do stuff to get here, forgive me, you're religious. <laughs> and with all due respect, we need no more religion in the church. But in actual fact, Jesus dealt with religion on the cross. He took care of that enemy. But, including this man preaching, we can become religious very quickly. And I'll tell you why. The more we serve him, the more we attend meetings, the more stuff we do for him, the more we begin to think we earned this position. Then we walk past people who haven't done what we've done and we think, losers. These guys deserve nothing. We're religious. And it's so easy when you do stuff for him to think we're doing it to earn a position. We are seated where we seated because of Jesus and only Jesus. Very hard to look down on someone when I'm being put up because of him and only him. And the same king who put me there can put all of them there. The difference is they just haven't experienced him. That's the only difference. It's very hard to be courageous if you're religious. If you're not free. <laughs> Religion smells, friends. It's dead. You can spray perfume on it, on a cask, it's still dead. And I, I want to just say, we don't need religion. And I'm not address, addressing your heart. I'm asking your understanding. Are you where you are because of what you do? Or are you where you are because of Christ and Christ alone? You know, Paul the Apostle. He said, I am the worst of all sinners. And I want to stop and say, how can you say that? Paul never, according to Scripture, what well, we see, he says he, he's according to the law, he's perfect. Which means he's never got drunk. He never cussed or swore or all the stuff we would say. He never committed adultery. He never did all these things that we would say, gee, that's the worst of sins. What was he guilty of? According to him, the worst of all sin. And what was it? He thought he could be righteous in himself. He thought he could earn righteousness. And his heart was so pure that he wanted to be righteous before God and help Israel be righteous before God. And so he was with the best teachers of the law. He hung out there. Anyone who messed with his way, that way, including the, the, the way, he would prison them, beat them up because he wanted to be right before God. And on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he encounters the one who is righteous. 
And there he realizes, I can never be right before God by anything I've done. The only right standing I'll ever have is to encounter the one who is righteous who makes me right. And you look how he stops the super apostles and all the stuff being put on and all the law and the add-ons when he read us. You cannot be made right except through Jesus Christ. And according to Paul, it was the worst of all sins. Forgive me, friends. The church today is guilty of the worst of all sins. We think the more we walk with him, the longer we serve him, that we become right, right standing in our doing rather than in what Jesus has done. <laughs> and I'm challenged by that because I stand here and preach. I leave my family. I travel. I'm paying a price for the king. But God doesn't look at me anymore and say, well, you're awesome. And that person who's committing sin right now, in his opinion, he loves that person as much as he does me. I can't get my little head around that. But I have to. Because if I think this qualifies me, I'm religious. If you think being here this morning qualifies you, you're religious. You need to be here. But you're only qualified because of where Jesus is seated. He's put you where you are today. And I know we know this, but I wonder, do we live this? Because they get what we've got. And we can have such courage if we're not religious. We're not for position, we're from position. I land with this, Russ. Here's the question. Well, here's a story. Simple little one. My son, my youngest son, well, all my kids love clothes. I think they get that from their mother. But my youngest boy, Jude, we bought him a shirt when he was young. And I liked his shirt. I mean, in actual fact, if it fit me, I would have kept it. But it didn't. So I gave it to him. And I was like, hey, boy, we bought this shirt. And, my, and Jude was like, oh, thanks, Dad, for my shirt. You know what he did? He took that shirt and he hung it in his closet. Every day he came out of his room and said, Dad, I love my shirt. Thanks for my shirt. And eventually I began to think, does he even like this shirt? Because he's thanking me for it, but he's never put it on. And then Sunday morning, the Lord's Day, he puts his shirt on. He walks out of his room and says, ah, oh, Dad, thanks for my shirt. And honestly, that's the day I realized he really does like that shirt. Not because he told me, because he put it on. I think that most of us in this room tell him daily, thank you for what you did on the cross. Most of us, even this morning, declare thank you. We don't even tell, we're brave enough to tell people what he's done. But I want to tell you, I think the best way to honor Jesus for what he's done, when he said it is finished, the pain and the stuff he's been through, is not go tell people, can I suggest not even thank him? Put it on. Put the shirt on of the finished way. There's no greater way to honor Jesus for what He's done than walk in what He's done. Not thank Him for it, not tell others about it. Walk in it. Put the shirt and the finished work on and don't leave it to Sunday, the Lord's Day. Put it on daily. Because I believe that honors Jesus most. And you cannot be religious when you're walking with a finished work shirt on. But if you're earning what you've got, my dear friends, we're in serious slippery slope. And we can never have courage if it's based on our performance. Let's pray together. Let's pray together. Super excited by what God's doing in this church. I really am. I hope you are, because it's not you doing it, God's doing it. But in saying that, God wants to use people. 
and that's you. And uh, it's not, are you good enough? Are you bad enough? It's not, hey, I'm a tender. God wants people all in. Not for the church, for His purposes. What culture do you carry? What culture have you been developing here? Not what would you like it to be? What is it? Because I believe what God's called this church to is going to require a, a courageous people. But not given a history, not in our past, not in our experience, but in Him. But it also means we've got to keep Jesus Christ the focus of it all. And just as we land this meeting, and I hand it back to Russ, if there's something that you need to respond to, friends, and it's not an accusation, God's not calling you out. God is a good Father who wants to, I believe, release life over His people, always to bring us into freedom. There's this culture of Christ, and you feel like, actually, you know what? I've been doing stuff for Him rather than with Him. Maybe it's this culture of Christ. I need to know Christ more. Not where I got in, where am I today? And I want to ask you just to maybe raise your hand. Not to me, but just to God. I want to just pray. If you feel like that's one of the things that God's challenging you on, just respond, friends. It's, not, it's all the goodness of God. It's not a rebuke. It's an encouragement. Man, I've got to, you've got to know when I stand up here to preach this, I've had to spend hours dealing with my heart. So if you need to respond to that, and maybe just, hey, Lord, you don't need me to pray. Just where you are. Just ask the Father. Would you reveal more of Jesus? Where I don't be, do stuff for you. I want to do it with you. I want to know you, Christ. I don't want to stay where I got in. I want to rely on others to help me. I want to rely on you, Holy Spirit, to help me see Jesus again. I keep asking, Spirit of wisdom and revelation, to know Christ better. I want to not know of you. I want to know you better. I want to be found guilty of being a follower of you. So Lord, you see hands here and I just pray you just release whatever needs to be. Touch people's lives. Bring freedom this morning in this room, I pray. Just do what in us, whatever it is you want to do. This thing on, on um, calling. If you're struggling with calling, maybe you've walked in the call of God before. Maybe you've messed it up. You hear this morning going, see, I had my moment. Lord says, no, no, there's more moments. I've called you. It's not based on your qualifications or your performance, based on his hand choosing, picking. If that's you, friend, would you just put your hand up and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm not putting my hand up to be chosen, but I'm not going to restrict you. Let the hope overflow again to the hope to which you've called us. Lord, you see hands again right across this room. I just pray you release men and women to be who you've called them to be. Not to rely on what was, good or bad. But there is no future in our past. It's all to what's still to come. I pray for hope to be overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray also, Lord, for this truth of understanding of competence in your power. I, I pray, Lord, and maybe if you need to raise your hands to this, maybe we become victims and we've allowed the gradual method of the devil to just totally, gradually wear us down. This morning you realize we've become victims. We're actually surviving. And just where you are, just maybe raise your hands and say, Lord, 
It's never been our intention, but we realize maybe today, would you just break into our lives? Just restore this great calling and understanding and competence in your power, the same power that raised Jesus from death to life, same power we have daily in our lives. We believe in what you've done. Thank you, Lord, for these people who are responding. And lastly, this one, friends, and this is probably the most difficult, but this one of religious. Maybe we have become a little religious. And again, it's not accusation. It's a simple observation. We begin to think, based on what we do, God loves us more. This morning, if you need to respond, maybe put the shirt on. Stop telling everyone else until you're wearing that shirt of the finished work. It's not good for everyone else and not you. It's good for you too. If you say that's me, just put your hand up where you are, wouldn't you mind? Lord, there's hands in this room. Again, your people, you know them. I just pray right now you just release. Let us put the shirt on, not on a Sunday, not on the Lord's Day, every day. May we continue doing things with you, but may we move from not for you, but with you. May we realize we are because we are where we are, simply and only because of you, Jesus. And may we be consistent, but also may we care, compassion on people who are not seated where we are, simply because they've never encountered you. I pray for this church. I pray for Redemption Hills Church. I've prayed from a distance and now pray even here this morning. Would you continue to take this church into its glorious inheritance? May people come and be added, the right people for the right season, but may they enlarge and take ground. May people find their worth in you through these people. And may the name of the Lord be held in high honor in Launceston again, in Tasmania and in Australia. The land, the land, what is it, the spirit, the land of the great south land of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, prophesied many years ago, we're not living on what was. We're not hanging on to a promise, we want to live in the what you are doing. So would you bless this leadership, bless this church, bless this region, bless your church in this city and in the nation. And let hope arise. All centered around you, Jesus Christ, we pray for the King and His kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.